I remember a quotation from one of the um, chairman for a Hong Kong-based industrial company in, uh, in China. When I visited them, this is probably going back 15 years ago, he said something very odd to me at the time. Don't waste a good recession. And it, it was a very simple sentence, but it encompassed so much wisdom that every time there's a downtrend in the industry, they are in a very basic commoditized business. But every time there's a downturn, they figure out how to etch over their cost structure, their efficiency, maybe their production time to be that little bit better. So that every downturn, some of the competitors goes away. And yes. then bit by bit, they become the largest player in the world. So mm -hmm. it, it, it encompasses that all of those sentences in the one, one sentence, don't waste good recessions. Welcome to the Cocoon Podcast. My name is Erica, Managing Partner at Cocoon Ignite Ventures. Together with my two other managing partners at the fund, Theodore and Roland, we invite you to tune in here, where you will find conversations we have with founders and investors on the future and sustainability of work. We have been talking and listening to founders and investors in Silicon Valley, Southeast Asia, Greater Bay Area, and the One Belt region for over a decade. There's so much to learn through venture capital conversations, and we decided to turn these meetings into a podcast to demystify what actually happens on the ground. If you're inspired by these stories and want to work or collaborate with any of our founders or investors, then our call to action is reach out by searching for Cocoon Born to Fly on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect there. Once again, thank you very much for joining joining us. Uh, Eric has been a passion investor for over 30 years. He's the co-chief uh, investment officer of Buna Vista Fund Management, has been with the firm since he started the Hong Kong office in 2002. I mean, well, we, we've been friends for quite a, a few years. Uh, uh, once again, thank you for your support with Cocoon. I know that you make a lot of uh, technology investments. Uh, last time when we when we well, when we met in person, uh, we're we're sharing. Uh, you had you you were looking deeply into a lot of uh, the Web three uh, goggles, these glasses, uh, and you've actually tested out all of them. So all this like technology, uh, I mean, it's I'm getting involved in a lot of these technology investments. Is that also related to your interest in in, uh, in the engineering behind a, a lot of these companies? It's simpler than that. It's more like I have less um, phobia or less resistance in trying out something else. Um, so if you take maybe the average person, whenever they come across a, 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 a new unknown, the natural thing is, you know, say, oh, I don't know about this and, and step back. Um, my, my personality and my training is more like, oh, I don't know about this. Let me find out more. So that attitude of kind of leaning forward against stepping back is a, is an important one that some people are just more uh, adventurous. And I would encourage all of, all of your audience, all of the young entrepreneurs to be more adventurous. You know, you, you, you got to have that right attitude to, to conquer the, the fear of unknown. And once you do that, then you, you can figure out that most knowledge um, you can actually acquire, uh, you know, some longer than the others, but nothing is that hard to, to master. And all you have to do is admit that you are students um, and, and start on the ground up. So I, I was that way. I, I remember I had this 
this discussion with the IR of um, the leading uh, manufacturer of the VR goggles space in in, uh, in the world, and and he kind of said, "Oh, so you don't know much about the VR industry at all?" By the time of it, I said, "Absolutely, this is my first call, and I I know about this, this, this. But I don't know how the rest are all linked together." And we had this very engaging dialogue and. Um, I would say by now, in going through most of the investor call, I'm probably better than the average um, investor in terms of the knowledge. But that certainly wasn't the case a year ago. So it's all, it's all about whether you are passionate to to learn and figure out what are the critical elements um, in this particular industry and learn how um, how to tell what is a job well done, what is a mediocre job, and how do you. How do you optimize on that particular parameters? For example, is it uh, in, in Miago? Is it the thickness? Is it the lens um, um, design? Is it battery life? Is it the comfort of being able to combine um, the unseen external world with the virtual world? So there's a lot of soft aspects that you need, you need to understand one by one, and then figure out how. Company A is doing better than Company B, and then you can say, ah, then if that's my understanding, then Company A should naturally win out. So it's, it's really, it's really about enjoying that kind of like a chess game. You got to figure out what are the different pressure spots and then address those pressure spots separately. So investment for you is、uh, is a chess game. It's a it's a strategy game, and you get to learn on the go. And、uh, definitely. Uh, this 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 excites you as you uh, as you、um, engage new problems. You see, there are、uh, these are things that you may not know, but you are interested to find out more. So that that's that's your approach. That's one side of it. The other side of it is that give me you know give me another give me another job that you can think of where I can get to meet top notch people from all over the world.、Mm-hmm. Um, and learn valuable lessons from 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 all of them. I remember, I remember、um, a quotation from one of the、um, chairman for a Hong Kong-based industrial company in、uh, in China. When I visited them, this is probably going back 15 years ago. He said something very odd to me at the time: "Don't waste a good recession." And it, it was a very simple sentence. But it encompasses so much wisdom that every time there's a downtrend in the industry, they are in a very basic commoditized business. But every time there's a downturn, they figure out how to etch over their cost structure, their efficiency, maybe their production time to be that little bit better. So that every downturn, some of the competitors goes away, and、yes. then bit by bit they become the largest player in the world. So、mm-hmm. it. it It encompasses that all of those sentences in the one one sentence. Don't waste good recessions. Downturn opportunities comes with that risk because just like what we're seeing in tech today, there are so many companies being decimated,、uh, but whoever's surviving would end up having a a larger play to themselves. Yes, and、uh, you know this segues really well to、um, uh, an article that I came across two weeks ago.、Uh, Uh, I've just mentioned to the audience. It's an article that I read、uh, in the information titled "Welcome to the E-Commerce Winter."、Uh, it's by Michael Di Stefano and Malik、uh, Morris. And I'll just quickly mention a brief summary. So,、uh, and then we'll continue with the discussion.、Uh, so, 
what happened is that uh, most people think about crypto winter, but what's worse is the e-commerce winter. Uh, the expectations that uh, investors and founders or consumers uh, are switching to e-commerce permanently after the pandemic is not, it's just not panning out. Every, everything is kind of like switching back. Uh, people are going online and now they're all going back offline. Uh, and not to mention there's runaway uh, inflation and equity uh, investors are pulling back on all the investments. So um, yeah, that's, a, that's a, I guess, two sentence summary of the article. It's a very good article. I recommend people to check it out. And as soon as I finished reading this article, I, I, I first person that came to mind was, is Eric. I was like, I'm gonna send this to Eric and I wanna see what he was thinking. And you just mentioned, don't waste a good, uh, good recession. What are the dangers, what are the opportunities in, in this e-commerce winter, given you also expose, I believe you, your portfolio, you have quite a few portfolio companies in the technology sector and definitely uh, in the e-commerce sector. What, what do you what do you think about all of this and how do we not waste this recession? We um, we might have talked a lot about tech in our in our you know, years of uh, social interactions, but our actual exposure to tech was actually fairly modest in a portfolio sense. Mm. Um, until the Chinese regulatory landscape become become a lot more challenging, and the valuations of many of these companies started to kind of fall off the sky, the mm. risk reward become right for us for many of these companies over the past eighteen months. Mm. So we become a lot heavier in tech, um, maybe more like the last six to nine months um, than we've been in the previous years. Mm. And to to kind of to segue back to what you said earlier about the um, opportunity and risk, the the sharp decline in terms of tech share price basically shut down the exit opportunity for many of the PE funds, and that I mean basically valuation no longer uh, as attractive, and the window of listing may or may not be there if the company is not able to demonstrate uh, a pathway to profitability. Um, so that makes the the exit window and the, or, or the exit reward far more uncertain mm. for PE funds. And in response to that, PE funds become a lot more selective on who to back, how much to back, and how much longer are they, they, are they willing to tolerate losses. That is a key distinction to the previous, maybe the previous decade of mindset of um, finding some way to disrupt the incumbents, build market share, lose money to win the battle over the long term. That's a kind of complete reversal of mindset. So when you take that mindset shift and look at existing player and landscape, it it would come up with interesting opportunities. For example, um, I was quite shocked to find out that um, Shopee being a... Um, uh, fairly dominant in e-commerce player across Southeast Asia. They were they got into Brazil about three years ago. Six months ago, in the middle of all of this um, kind of grim and doom recession talk, they raised their tick rate from six percent to ten percent in Brazil. Now, six percent to ten percent is still not going to be enough to cover all of their um, uh, last mile costs and their min costs, but it's closer to break even, and they're able to do that with basically no meaningful retaliation from any of the other players. So if you look at if you look at this, it's a 
is an opportunity for companies that have the staying power to edge back towards profitability rather than rather than stay kind of a deeper and deeper into fight into the red. So Shopee is kind of one good example. They they are able to, um, for example, shut down their stores in uh, India, Spain, and France to focus on their uh, growth in Brazil plus the ASEAN six countries that they are already operating in. So that's kind of so that means their cash burn will be lower, and their pathway to um, break even is going to be more accelerated. Mm. Um, share price is down eighty percent, just like many of the other tech companies. So risk reward is is whether you have confidence on whether they can hit the break even in in two years. Yeah. These are the kind of opportunities that we see, we see. You, you see the same kind of thing with many other companies. For example, if you look at Tencent or if you look at Alibaba, both of them have dramatically scaled back what they call new initiative, or the or the kind of previously money losing um, uh, new divisions. Um, both Alibaba and Tencent have talked about. Um, uh, I forgot the official term they use, but. Basically, is to cut out all the unprofitable customers that they acquire in the <laughs> market share fighting era. So they are basically yes. they're they're optimizing their portfolio for more profitable customers. Oh, yeah, this is very interesting. What you mentioned about the the, the insiders that, given the collapse of the valuations, that's actually this invent uh, incentivizing PEs to get uh, to pump up these valuations because. They can't exit. I mean, they can't exit in in a in a in a crazy way. So that in turn leads to companies with staying power to up their margins. To since their competitors are literally dying or falling out of the competition, and in turn, actually, those companies become more profitable. Wow, yep. this is a very 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 interesting uh, insight in terms of. The consequences of a sudden like valuation adjustment and how the market is, in a way, uh, doing what it's supposed to do, allow those yep. who are better to so-called uh, be have more access to the market and those who and also more profit. Otherwise, I mean, I mean, back in the back in the in the days when there's super high valuation, people are just acquiring customers left and right, even if they're making a loss. And now you're yep. saying the giants are deciding to not even serve the uh, loss-making customers. I, I, I think that's that's very interesting. So I mean, if you're buying buying them at like 80% discount from 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 its peak, uh, that that should be a pretty good. Uh, it's it's a bargain. Would you would you, better, would you say it's a bargain? <laughs> it's a better risk reward. I mean, many of these companies still have to make it to the to the black, right? But yes. there are other companies that are already in the black. That are yeah. being sold off, um, um, so you can just you can just look at you know, them individually and assess the profitable part against the loss making part, and it tilt more towards the profitable side. How does that do to your valuations? It's all about it's all about the free cash flow that you you can extract out. If the losing side is being kind of moderated, then the free cash flow is improved. There's yeah. a there's there's one more uh, layer that I want to take it above what we just discussed. Mm. Beyond just cutting back on the loss-making initiative, there's also opportunity of morphing the landscape. If you recall, over the past three years, there's been a lot of very bloody war um, in the community group buy segment in uh, in China. 
many of the PE funds were piling a lot of cash to to burn. Mm. And I mean, forget forget operating margin. They were on many of them were on negative markups, on negative gross margins. And uh, so with that behavioral change, many of those um, smaller players begin to run out of money and and die. But at the same time, the leader um, Meituan actually have shift their strategy slightly. Yes. Instead of just looking at community group buy as a subsidized business across the nations, they look at some of the largest city and says, you know, we can take them, we can take the the kind of like a panda mart model rather than a community group buy model. I can provide a online convenience stores. Then suddenly you switch from community group buy kind of large volume household SKUs to selling kind of stuff that people would buy and pay for convenience. And so in Beijing, Shanghai, they've shifted a lot of this effort um, from from delivering carrots and onions into delivering soft drinks, in, into delivering ready-to-consume items. And that part goes from a uh, very low gross margin to a much higher gross margin. So the business model also getting morphed as everybody kind of wake up from that market share grab mentality and says, what do people in Beijing really want? What do people in Shanghai really want? What do they care? Oh, they want 15 minutes delivery time. Pricing, less sensitive. What do people in the six-tier city want? They want, they have all the time in the world. They might actually want more selection and they might care less about delivery time being being an hour or two hours. So you optimize your delivery network to try to cater for different segments and morph your margin accordingly. So that's that's again, you might not have this type of um, um, rational segmentations if everyone's just going for market share grab. Yes, that's true. And I think what you mentioned about the landscape is morphing, it's, cha- uh, it's changing. And to a great degree, I mean, um, you've got to be more personalized. You've got yep. to really know your customers and find, find ways to deliver uh, more value whereby you'll be rewarded by a larger margin. Yep. So th- this, I mean, back, kind of going back to like what you mentioned about the recession is the time when uh, companies can get more margin, but you've got to really look into what your customers are uh, are willing to pay for and convenient. Margin, margin comes last normally. Mm, so okay. what you start off with, how to better serve the customer, what are the pain points that you, need, you can address, and hopefully if you can address that better than your competitor, and your competitor goes out of business, then the landscape would tilt in your favor, and once the, the macro conditions improve, your margin would expand naturally. So your margin expansion doesn't happen during the recession, but it, the, the scene is set while your competitors are, uh, uh, are, are withering away during the recession. Actually, along these lines, I, I mean, I, w- I was also thinking about uh, about this part of um, uh, serving be- uh, better service customers, which leads to various options in terms of getting getting more uh, more margin and you, 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 you get to stay uh, in business. And in a certain, to a certain extent, that's actually about increasing productivity. And I was just wondering how you think about how you think about this, because um, yeah, you look at businesses, you look at the business models, the value creation, the profitability, etc. Uh, but in essence, it's also uh, you're considering the productivity of the people in these companies. So the product- yep. productive people in these companies uh, in these uh, make 
the productive people make their respective companies profitable. So, yep. the, uh, in a way, I think this connects more to uh, our cocoon audience, where I mean, most people are affiliated with a uh, some kind of product or service company business. So, along these lines, do you think there are any fundamental changes in how productive people work, or do you have any views in general, like the future of work? This is um, this is the hotly debated subject. I don't have conclusion yet. I have um, observation. I have different. Yeah, I have different trends. I'm, I'm, for example, the the whole idea about going to the office, commuting kind of back and forth um, from your home to your office, um, sticking to a specific set of working hours, all of those things were being thrown out the window during the last few years of of COVID environment, and many of us have got used to. Um, working more flexible hours, working from home, having kind of um, set up in place so that if you have to do something a bit more formal at home, you can still kind of um, take the meetings uh, in your in your in the in the comfort of your own home. And once you get used to um, dispensing with the commuting time mm-hmm. and having more frequent but smaller kind of bite-sized uh, uh, interaction away from the office. That has major uh, ramifications of how town centers are organized. Um, whether we have, whether the infrastructure that we have today is still required in terms of having such a um, uh, large-scale office block, such a large, let's say, public infrastructures and parking facilities, all of those existing business model are being challenged. When when you have, let's say. X percent of your of your um, of your staff are happy to work from home for some fraction of their time. Then your total office space might be maybe a chunk less than what you have been paying for. Um, you might have a different need for IT infrastructures to be able to cater with all the security checkings, um, um, uh, remote, remote support environment. So that that gives rise to. Um, uh, a rethinking about you know, uh, I you know, to give a more painful ex- uh, uh, example. If you think about Great A Office um, as a as a office investment in Hong Kong, it has been kind of a one way game for a long, long time. If we start to, if we start to start thinking about uh, office demand under the framework that I just described in the last few minutes, um, coupled with the extended quarantine requirement in Hong Kong pressuring the MNC to reconsider their role in Hong Kong. Mm. You can actually paint a, a, a far more grim picture if office, um, if office vacancy rate uh, continue to increase. At some point, somebody would break ranks and start doing rent discounting and your you know, $80, $90, office rent in prime locations can, can fall very far. In the last down cycle in the... Uh, in the Asian crisis, we went from 140 to eight dollars. Um, I'm not saying this is the same type of magnitude here, but we had the same type of ingredient to fundamentally disrupt the uh, the supply demand. When you have full occupancy, landlord can basically ask for whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But when you have when you already have low teens vacancy and still rising, um, it could be a very different picture. So all of us have to start thinking about how does the post pandemic work habit going to impact um, the service industry 
impact office uh, part, how to impact IT support. Yes, um, yes. And and way down the road, whether whether some sort of mixed reality um, uh, augmentation might be able to might be able to come into play, we we have got so used to Zoom now. If we can easily add a three D equivalent of Zoom and do kind of virtual meeting in a in a virtual room while feeling that we are actually inside a room. That might actually help engagement better. One of the big, one of the big uh, uh, negative on Zoom is that if you are in a large Zoom meeting, it's quite easy to feel disengaged and just, just, just drop off. But if you are in a 3D environment where everybody can see each other in a in a virtual avatar format, then it's far easier to stay engaged when everybody is. Virtually looking at you. I mean, we've, we've all been spending a lot more time on Zoom, and I, I must say, I really uh, enjoy the convenience, um, especially these one-on-one -on -one, uh, meetings. Uh, they're still—I mean, they're still pretty good. I mean, not as good as if we were to meet up uh, over coffee, but when we go to like much larger settings, uh, it's very easy to. Uh, have multiple windows open on your on your desktop, and uh, hence the engagement is uh, uh, is reduced. And if if there are meetings where people can turn off the cameras, essentially, I mean, you're not even sure if they're if they're around, which yeah. I think is uh, impacts. It does impact to a certain extent the productivity and uh, the engagement the alignment of 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 these um, uh, within these these companies. Um, and at the same time, I think I'm I'm trying to connect kind of connect the dots of what you just said and also with what we were discussing that uh with this there's a lot of reorganization going on there's like you mentioned about office office uh, especially grade a maybe they don't need to be uh, that expensive uh, people don't need such large footprints um and at the same time we need to look into we really need to ask these questions why do we have these things from, I mean, the legacy uh, reasons, or can we actually change for something better? In a way, it connects with what you mentioned about um, a lot of these group buy platforms, I mean, Meituan, and they, they start asking about, wait, what do these cities want? What would be people in this district want? So in a way there, I see there might be like um, um, a common theme going on is that with data, can we be more accurate with data? Can we be be a bit more, uh, I guess, precise in terms of delivering the convenience that people are looking for? At the same time, we are looking for convenience because, to a great degree, we've been restricted. We are we we can't go to office, or now we have to make do with whatever we we've got right now. So I want I'm willing to pay for a bit more convenience because. In all the aspects of my life, I've, there's a lot of inconvenience that's been taken away from me. Or selection, I no longer have that kind of selection. So in a way, do you think this is a coincidence that all these things collide? Or, uh, or do you see this is actually going to evolve into another, another uh, trend where it's all a matter of precision? I am... I'm on the more optimistic side. Um, what I um, we have a lot of internal debate about this um, is 
is food delivery or is e-commerce basically just a cannibalization of the offline? Or is it actually adding? And my take, I mean, I've been I've been in four quarantines over the last two years. So um, during those time, I have formed new habits. My friends that have gone through similar experience have formed new habits. And once you get used to the idea that if I want a beer at 10.30 at night, and for 10 bucks extra, somebody would drop it at my doorsteps, it's pretty hard to kind of go back and say, ah, I got to wait to do tomorrow morning and drive to the supermarket and buy myself a beer. Yes, um, so yes. once, once you get those habits or, you know, I feel like, I feel like staying in the office to do a bit more work. I'm too lazy to go out for lunch. Let me just call one of the delivery platform and send me a burger. Uh, once you, once you get used to that, um, it, does it, does it cannibalize? I, I think this is more like consumption increases. I might not have gone out and order as much stuff. I certainly might have been more price sensitive if I were going out than mm. I'm, than I am behaving. Um, uh, in a more kind of a lazy setting. Similarly, I've, I've discovered that my colleagues have gone off one step further. Um, instead of just going on delivery or food tender, they've gone on to other high-end um, uh, restaurants to, to get stuff that they normally wouldn't be able to, to make a booking easily. Now they're on their own delivery platforms. Um, great, one more option. So I'm, I'm seeing this as an expansion of... Um, of uh, channel to to extract consumer dollars rather than as a cannibalization um, trend. The other thing is, for example, Zoom. Um, Zoom is a. I mean, I'm I'm on a pay account because I don't want to have a forty minutes uh, limitations. But yes. take the, take this one step further. I'm prepared to pay for Zoom just for a higher quality and more stable connection. Sorry, uh, uh, versus the other platform. Imagine you ask yourself. If you and I can be in a virtual room where I can illustrate my thoughts in a virtual whiteboard that I'm kind of sketching out my my diagrams or my illustration, how much easier would it be for me to explain, let's say, one of my investment thesis on one of the company? If I can draw life in front of you and you can observe that on the whiteboard, would you pay another hundred bucks a year for that service? Probably, I would probably do that. There's, of course, I I would. I'll definitely pay pay more just for so when it's, for that experience. Exactly. So whether it's Zoom or whether it is um, Matter, kind of selling uh, some of this stuff, there is a there is a a service revenue that we would pay extra over what we're willing to pay now. When FaceTime is free, when WhatsApp call is free, but there's stability issue, there's work flexibility issue. By the time you book this account, you're actually expanding the market into segmentation of maybe higher function, higher output segments, mass markets, and maybe a free segment. So you are you are turning what used to be a kind of a, a surface that people take for granted and accept whatever limitation they, they do. Now, you know, who wants to use other inferior platform when Zoom is more stable? And yes. when there's a next when there's the next thing coming along it will be an easy transition. So I see this pandemic as um, as net-net a positive for us to expand our habit and expand our potential way to spend money rather than uh, cannibalizing what, what was the old economy before the pandemic. Yes, yes. I This is a very, very good uh, insight to this. And I think what you, I mean, a key, 
keyword that you highlighted is this change of habits. Um, habits being something that I, it's hard to get us started, but as soon as we switch, you mentioned about buying a beer, like at the moment, having someone deliver. Yes, it's extra $10. I mean, for our contacts, maybe $10 Hong Kong is, is, <laughs> is susceptible. A dollar fifty US, it's susceptible. And I think, um, and also about access, access to things that you normally may not have considered because even say for luxury products or like the luxury restaurants, they would never consider any form of take home or delivery up until they have no customers in the restaurants. Yep. So suddenly people who have never had this access or never thought they would actually go for these restaurants. Now it's on the, on the wrap, the delivery or whatever food panda and you just click on it. Oh, let's, let's give it a try. Like how, how does this dish actually taste? Even though I know it's going to be not as good if, if, since it's a takeout, but at least I have, have an idea I have access. It, it opens up all these new opportunities. Which, I mean, in, in my line of business, I also see that this is this is these are the new habits changing through um, uh, what we're working on. And one of the companies, Empower, we see that a lot of a lot of customers are very happy to make online purchases, but they want to talk to someone online at their convenience, say 11 p.m. Midnight. That's when we actually have time to sit back, relax. The kids are in bed, away, but to kind of do some shopping. And how is it possible to kind of go back to like, oh, uh, the shop's going to be open like tomorrow, 11 until like uh, 7 or 8 p.m. Like come to a store and I'll tell you what we've got versus I go on, go on my uh, social media or WhatsApp. I want to go to, I just want to click on a button and talk to someone talk to a product expert and that person is going to respond and give me the images and, 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 and the prices and make me feel like, Oh, I already know what I'm going to buy. So it's the, the barrier entry of entering a store is significantly lowered. And I think this is the kind of habit. I mean, we start off with maybe buying stuff from Amazon and, and, uh, HGTV mall, but as, as our habits continue, we are more happy, well, I mean, we feel a lot more comfortable expanding our range, which I, I very much agree with, with what you've described. And I think you highlighted a key thing, is that habit. That habit uh, and COVID giving us adequate time for us to develop certain habits. And I think that's that's very, very important. Along these lines of like new things and changing habits, just curious, are, are you, have you, have you uh, tested out any like crypto investments? Yeah, any any thoughts along those lines? Not yet. Um, I have uh, I have looked into um, mining costs and uh, supply constraints of mm -hmm. Bitcoin as Bitcoin was falling falling through. Yes, because I've that's another at, like eighty percent down seventy to eighty percent could yep. could meet your 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 threshold <laughs> in terms of mm, well, this the from, risk from, reward. <laughs> from what I mean. Um, the mining cost is still reasonably stable in um, in Bitcoin, mm. and below a certain price level, around about twenty thousand, mining become not profitable for um, for the mining machines. So there's a natural kind of cyclical force to um, to adjust that balance. Whereas for many of the other uh, crypto that are not backed by this type of algorithms, there is there is no real supply demand reset. 
Um, so that's kind of one way. Um, the other thing that I've been uh, learning about is um, is really this whole new play to earn games um, area where people in certain countries are incentivized to to play and make their NFTs and be able to trade those NFT in the games to other people. Yes. Um, so that 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 ecosystem is fairly new. Um, mm. Could potentially can again instead of mining, you just have someone spending their human hours doing something to earn a particular product and then reset it to someone else. So it's a similar principle. So those are the those are the the interesting things on crypto that I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to trying to navigate my way through. I haven't made any investments in crypto yet. Mm. Yes. Um, but, but the uh, I would say maybe a easier call is that still a kind of a a work in progress. Is that instead of trying to figure out which cryptocurrency or which metaverse would end up winning it all, um, I'm spending more time looking at maybe if Unity or Unreal they are the two dominant um, engines to make. Any all this virtual environment, if they can figure out an NFT standard, so everyone that makes um, uh, their games based on Unity would yes. be able to have portability across uh, across multi-platform on the NFT. That might be a big a bigger upside. Yes, right now, yes. we haven't heard that from Unity, but if the, if if there's a natural point of kind of forming a standard at the engine level, would be kind of one way of yes. uh, of making this easier. We'll see whether they. They get round to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other, this, yeah. This, yeah. This is like uh, the gold rush in California. Uh, you're not sure where you're going to find the biggest gold nugget, but maybe you you can help uh, supply the shovels. And and uh, I remember, I mean, Levi's is 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 born out of a gold rush, and also maybe build a railroad there. <laughs> I mean, people still need need these supplies in order to go go do their gold rush and go go digging. I'm sorry, you were you were yeah. about to add. Please continue. Yeah, there's there's an, there's another spectrum of this type of um of gold rush or democratizations of uh, of e-commerce. In the old days, we've been thinking about you know the dominant platform, your Amazon, your your other um um uh, free free key platforms, Shopee's and and whatever else. What we are seeing might actually be kind of a new um. Uh, a new way, similar to what I think we, we discussed maybe a year ago on what Empower is doing using a WhatsApp um, uh, interface so that you have an auto integration with between your online uh, presence and your offline presence, right? I I recently started doing some, um, some courses and discover how easy it is to link um, to link uh, uh, my kind of uh, Python-based environments into WhatsApp or into WeChat or Telegrams. The APIs are very straightforward. So it makes it makes even the smaller seller able to have this kind of a WhatsApp or, or messenger-based interface uh, yes. being affordable, being uh, being there and kind of at the user level. Not everybody wants to download an app, but if I can scan a QR code, Get into WhatsApp and order something fairly quickly, or check out something fairly quickly, and have someone that give a humanoid response on the other side. Mm. All that can be done in the, in the script in in a few lines. It's really not that difficult. That means many of the 
an organized uh, a vendor have an opportunity to have an online presence without being taxed heavily by the platform. Yes, that's, absolutely. That's a new thing. That's a new thing that I'm kind of excited into、um, to see how that you know evolve over time. Yes, and th- this this is a field like where I mentioned you mentioned Empower again. I mean, what we've been working on is this chat commerce, and I think it's also a matter of I me mean, using what you you've shared with us, the habits that people are forming, and how it's so hard to move from something that's easy back to something that's actually hard. It's so easy to send a text. It's so easy to receive a text. I don't need to download an app, and you have. You can have a humanoid,、uh, chatbots or so, or you actually have a human being on the other end who's eager to to give you the the answers that you need.、Uh, and it's literally at the tip of, it's not just tip of your tongue now; it's the tip of your fingers, your fingertips to just type it in and and get responses, and not worry about、um, not getting the the kind of expert information that you want to have,、uh, because. You know, these days even searching online requires effort in th- figuring out which keywords to actually use.、Yep. Because、yep. why do some people feel that oh, the youngsters kind of understand how to search online better than than the、uh, older people? It's all a matter of the use of words. But、yep. with human language, with chat, with actually having someone else, another human human on on the other end, it's just a lot easier. And I think that that aspect is. Uh, ever, ever evolving, where people want to use fewer calories to do more work, to get more done. In in that sense,、and、I think enabling more, more, more of this actually also enables a lot of small players to to stay relevant, because their relevance at the end of the day, in in my view, is that they are the real content contributors to the network, yep. Yep. because they have the knowledge, they have the product, or they have Have the necessary information and also the service、uh, required to answer those questions, and they should be part of the. They should also earn、uh, and, and benefit from from this internet. Hence, the productivity aspect, increase productivity. When, yeah. When we spoke to some of the、um, some of the、um, kind of multi-country seller of a Shopee platform, the things that they highlight to us was that.、Um, A good platform is able to tap to my backend systems, translate all my SKUs into nicely presented um, um,、uh, web pages or, or app layouts. Have all my description translate into different languages, and sync up all my price globally, so that I I don't have to do anything if I want to sell in fifteen countries. The、yeah. platform handle everything for me on currency collections, multi-currency support on payment platforms, all my、um, all my、uh, kind of SKU updates, and、um, and you know, hopefully soon, Tencent will announce in the、uh, in their one call results that they're going to be providing、um, live chat features. As so, as a merchant, not only are your kind of、uh, SKU management now become a fairly automated task. Even your CRM functions can become a fairly automated task. You just really need to have your experts on the other end of the line. All the other IT is already outsourced. It makes it makes a small merchant a lot more functional to become a digital merchant. In the old days, just think about having to develop your own platforms, build your own 
chatbot, build your own chat-based um, uh, systems, have your own app approved by the app source. There's a, there's a lot of roadblocks to clear. Yes. We are kind of getting away from that now. Yeah, you, you need a lot of specialty, uh, various types of specialties. And given these days, um, I think uh, across multiple industries, we all have various uh, short uh, shortfall in manpower. Hiring, yep. not to mention hiring IT is very difficult. Now, nowadays, I think just hiring anyone who to, to do any form of service is, is difficult. And yep. I think this actually in turn benefits a lot of the smaller players when they themselves are owners, they have the motivation to, 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 to work and um, having being part of these networks and platforms uh, gives you a lot more access or but brings you to the, I guess, same, a more level playing field. Yep. I think that that is where a lot of this, a lot of these large platform players uh, may uh, gain more traction than than the other 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 platform other systems. Um, yep. That are more more in house or more exclusive systems. That's that's where that's where it's not just the it's not just the front end. I mean, the front end we talk about in terms of CRM inventory management. We own a we own a company in uh, in Australia called Zero, mm. and they are doing the same thing for backend, right? So imagine if if I have to do all We're the using zero too. <laughs> We're using oh, zero. We're using zero. It's a great company. So, so yeah. you so exactly. So you know exactly what I mean. It allows all the accounting stuff to be real time. It 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 saves you on a lot of dedicated accounting resources in-house and it reconciles all your statements, pay your bills for you. So that type of productivity gain in the back end is also is also highly um, highly conducive for smaller operators to go online. Yes, absolutely. Productivity. You know, uh, with you know in a way with lot with more uh, tougher competition. I mean given what you mentioned earlier that a lot of these companies are now uh, they have uh, low valuations, so everyone needs to be profitable, and you have to drive higher margins. So naturally, your customers will be asking, "Are you giving me better service?" And you have to increase the ante. You've got to increase the kind of your your, your service standard. Um, bottom line is, you still need to stay nimble. So yep. you need to cut costs in other places. It used to be a five-person backend team. Now you have to bring it down to three people. That that's just how how things going to going to work out. And uh, in a way, that also consolidates, uh, I guess, decision making capabilities. Uh, in a way, also ownership it needs to be consolidated. Uh, and that's also in turn allow allow faster uh, and more precise decisions to be made. Uh, that increases productivity and companies become ever more profitable, but majority of them are likely going to be small unless uh, you're a platform player. So then the platforms are helping people make money in that sense. I mean, isn't it exciting to be able to see that if imagine for the for the community of small sellers, historically, they are bound by the geographical uh, neighborhood of their of their uh, physical stores. Yes. Being able to enable them to sell to a much larger audience um, and resolve a lot of the cross-border difficulties. That actually brings a lot of opportunities for small merchants globally. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a big step. So one last question before I let you go. Sure. Uh, actually, also along these lines, 
So what's the favorite part of your job? Just that you did mention a little bit about like learning new things, but aside from that, what's the favorite part of your, your job as an investor? The, the two part, there's a part that I wish I can get more of as a kind of a perks to the, to the job. And there's a second part that is the kind of a day-to-day -day enjoyment, kind of like enjoying coffee, the equivalent. The first part is I, I have been very privileged to be able to attend a lot of live events hmm. and meet up with some very important uh, business figureheads, uh, political leaders, um, top strategists in various fields uh, in, in my line of work. Hmm. And those, when you're able to, I was, I was, um, I was in the audience um, listening to Madeleine Albright, Henry Kessinger's gift life speeches, and to kind of have a glimpse of their mind and how their mind works. It is absolutely, um, it's absolutely addictive just to be able to see this is how a, a master uh, go, going through their particular game and how they dissect the game pieces. So that part, I wish there's, 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 um, there's more opportunity. It's never enough. It's yes. very addictive. <laughs> um, um, and you mentioned the second yeah. part is like coffee. It's like coffee. So the yeah. second part is, is more like day-to-day um, -day, I'm learning about new businesses and with new businesses there's always there's always a learning curve on a new skill on a new industry um, maybe the regulatory landscape is uncertain maybe the competitive landscape is uncertain there's always going to be some mystery that you have to solve uh, before you can get, come to a conclusion that oh I'm going to back this particular investment so that part is like playing a puzzle you enjoy cracking all the different pieces you might not crack it every single time, but when you crack it, the satisfaction come from come from that um, that project achievement. It's like enjoying a good coffee, and you do that on a daily basis. Yeah. So that part is the daily reward. Well, that's that's amazing. I mean, you you have daily rewards, and at the same time, you also get to learn uh, throughout your your career. So once again, thank you very much, Eric, uh, for sharing, uh, for, for taking your time to share with us uh, your thoughts and your some of your investment uh, strategies. And you know, I look forward to chatting with you again. Hey, thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to hear more from entrepreneurs and investors on why they got started how they got through the hard parts, and what they'll be doing next. If you're inspired by these stories and want to work or collaborate with any of our founders or investors, reach out by searching for Cocoon Born to Fly on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect there. Download more episodes or subscribe via Spotify or YouTube.